6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, Dr. Chuck Missler's daily radio program connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. This series is entitled, Learn the Bible in 24 Hours. In today's study, Dr. Mister completes his session entitled, The Book of Daniel. So Gabriel visits from verse 20 to 23, and he gives Daniel four verses that are, turn out to be the most astonishing verses in the Bible. They're known as the 70 weeks of Daniel, from verse 24 through the end of the chapter, verse 27, four verses. 70 weeks of Daniel. Now there's 70 shibuim, I'll come back to that in a minute. The first of the four verses is the scope. The second of the four verses is 69 weeks. Then we encounter an interval, and then the 70th week. Now this sounds pretty simple, but it's very important to understand that verse 25 encompasses 20, uh, 69 of the total weeks. Verse 27 encompasses the last final missing week. Verse 26 talks about things after verse 25, but before verse 27. Thus we infer the weeks are not contiguous. There's a gap. There's an interval. So once you understand that, it all flows and makes sense. The first of the four is verse 24, the scope. Seventy-sevens are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city. Seventy-seven, seventy shibuim is what it is, seventy-sevens is what it is really saying. If I told you I've got to leave, I'll be back in a decade, when would you expect me? Ten years, exactly. See, I didn't say years, I just said a decade. In Hebrew, they have a week of days, we're obviously familiar with that. There's a week of weeks, that's what Shavuot is all about. There's a week of months, that's the, from uh, Nisan to Tishri, or Tishri to Nisan, either way, is uh, seven months. And they also have a sabbatical year, seven years. Six years you can plow the land, the seventh year you're supposed to leave it rest. So there's a rest for the land also. So in the Jewish mind, there's, se the seven, there's all kinds of sevens. But a, a week of years is a very common unit of measure. When Jacob labored, for his wives. He, labeled, he, he labored for seven years, for one and seven years for the next one. He had to fulfill her week, is the expression in Genesis. And so on it goes. Well, anyway, so these are obviously weeks of years. Seventy-sevens, seventy weeks of years, are determined upon whom? Get this, it's very important to know this right away. Upon thy people in the holy city. This has nothing to do with the church, it has to do with, it's Jewish. Daniel was Jewish. Upon thy people and upon thy holy city. It's on, it's on the Jews in Jerusalem. It says, Seventy-sevens are determined, or reckoned, upon thy people and upon the holy city, to do six things. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, we could spend some time going through each one of these, but it's pretty obvious that at least uh, as a group, they are not complete yet. Have we made an end of sins? Not so you'd notice. Have we finished transgressing? 
Pick up the daily paper anytime. Yeah, have we brought, brought in everlasting righteousness? And so on. So the point is, this, when this happens, when this is finally, when the 77s are completed, that's all she wrote. There's a real sense of completion here. Are you with me? So it isn't complete yet. So the next verse, verse 25, deals with 69 of those weeks. And this is the one I want to focus on. Know therefore, Gabriel says to Daniel, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, get the picture, Daniel is in, in Babylon. Jerusalem is in rubble a couple hundred miles to the west. But he knows that Jerusalem is, they're going to re the captivity is about over. It has a destiny to be rebuilt. Gabriel drops in and says, by the way, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah the King, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troubled times. Now I want you to notice, from unto. There are milestones. The trigger, the beginning, is a commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Don't confuse that with the temple. The city is in view here, and I'll prove that to you in a minute. Unto the Mashiach Nagid, the word Nagid is first used of Saul, it's, it's Messiah the King, shall be seven plus sixty-two, three score and two. And the, notice the, the Holy Spirit adds something here, the street shall be built again and the wall, even troubled times. Why did the Holy Spirit put that in there? So you wouldn't get confused because it will be preceded by some decrees to rebuild the temple. The issue here is not the temple, it's the city of Jerusalem. 77 are determined upon thy people and the holy city, right? Okay. Now, so we have a mathematical prophecy. From the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the King shall be 69 weeks it turns out we're indebted to Sir Robert Anderson, the head of Scotland Yard, he, his landmark study of 1894, where he recognized that in the Bible, for God's own reasons, he uh, deals in 360-day years. He does that in Genesis, he does that in Revelation. And there's a whole thing behind that we can get into. Uh, we do it when you study Joshua and, the, and the, the orbits of Mars and all that business, but I won't get into that here. We know that the biblical usage is 360 day years, and we indebted to Robert Anderson for unraveling this whole thing by recognizing that particular thing. So 69 times 7 times 360 turns out to be 173,880 days. And you don't have to remember that number, we'll get to that in a minute, but um, they say there's, some of your Bible studies say there are four decrees to rebuild Jerusalem Cyrus in 537, Darius. Artaxerxes 458, another one by Artaxerxes in 445, and these are all referred to in your Bible, by the way. But in verse 25, it spoke of Rechab, the street, and the wall, or the moat. And uh, those are Hebrew words. They have nothing to do with the temple, they have to do with the city. It turns out that it's the city, not the temple, that's in view in Daniel's prophecy. So these first three are having to do with the temple, not with the city. We're interested in the one by Artaxerxes Longimanus in 445 B.C. So we know where that decree is. We know that from records that that was marked, on our calendar would be March 14th to 445 B.C. The problem is, okay, great, when did Jesus allow himself to be presented as a king? Several times in the gospel period. They tried to take him as a king, and he says, my hour is not yet 
come. He slips away. In John 6 and some other places. Then one day, Jesus does something very bizarre. He not only permits it, He arranges it. To deliberately fulfill Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah, the prophet said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, right upon an ass. In fact, a colt, the foal of an ass. The ki thy king cometh unto thee. How will be recognized? Riding this donkey. And of course, we recognize that right away, that uh, uh, as we look in Luke 19, when he's riding the donkey from Bethany up over the Mount of Olives, down through the Kedon Valley, Jerusalem. And as he does so, they lay down their palm branches and their coats, and they sing Psalm 118. In Luke 19, verse 38, it says they are singing, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. How many of you have heard the thing, This is the day the Lord hath made, we shall rejoice and be glad in it? Sure, we've all heard that. And we apply it to any day, and that's okay, but that's not what it's about. That's Psalm 118, verse 26. The reason is, it's talking about the day the Messiah presents himself. They're singing this song under these conditions. Now, any time you and I, as Gentiles, not having a good Jewish background, run the danger of missing something, the Pharisees come to our rescue. Any time they get unglued, pay attention. The Holy Spirit's trying to tell us something. Because in the next verse, it says, Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, that is, the Messiah said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. What are they upset about? Because they recognize that by singing this psalm under these conditions, they're declaring him the Mashiach Nagid. And they assume he certainly doesn't want them to blaspheme. You follow you get the picture? You see why they're upset? They're declaring this guy the Messiah. The next verse, Jesus responds to them very tactfully. <laughs> He, said, he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And I'm one of these cynics. I wish they would have shut up for a minute to see if that is just a figure of speech. <laughs> and I always tell our people when we're on a tour, we go to, almost every year, we go to Israel. And like most tour groups, we will be up on the Mount of Olives because it's a great picture outlook over Jerusalem, over the Kedon Valley. And the next stop is usually Gethsemane, which is the base of the Mount of Olives. The buses will drop you up there for your pictures, but then they let you walk down that road to Gethsemane, which is usually your next stop for a devotional before going on wherever. We'll always tell the group before they get off the bus, take your pictures, but then you have an opportunity to get the best bargain in Israel. As you walk down that road to Gethsemane, pick up a couple of stones, put it in your pocket. And when you get home, Mount them on a piece of wood for your den or your desk at the office or wherever as a trophy. And when somebody is visiting, says, what's that? You say, that's one of the stones that didn't cry out. <laughs> and you've got, to go, you've got to explain Daniel 9, you get into Luke 19, and they brought it up, you know. <laughs> the chronology of Christ's ministry should understand, uh, ministry began in the fall of 28 AD. How do we know that? Tiberius was appointed in 14 A.D. That means, see, Augustus died in August 19th of 14 A.D. And we know from Luke uh, 3, verse 1, that it was within the 15th year of Tiberius. To be in the 15th year, there's 14 behind him. So that's year 28 on, on reckoning. You follow me? And uh, we know that he, the, the crucifixion occurred incident to the fourth Passover, which would have been April 6th of 32 A.D. And Sir Robert Anderson obviously nails all this down. There are other chronologies, 
held by good scholars, but most of them are contrived in order to support a Friday crucifixion. And there's a lot of reasons. There's about at least three reasons from the Scripture that he could not have been crucified on Friday. I won't get, get into all that here. We'll get into that later. But um, so the point is, we know the trigger, the terminus ad quo, as they call it, the decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus, March 14th to 445 B.C. And we know the triumphal entry was on April 6th of 32 A.D. What's interesting about this is, by the way, just a frame of reference, the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament occurs roughly where that, a third of the way there, from between the two. In other words, 300 years earlier, is the translation is in black and white. So this is not contrived by some rabbis. This was in black and white before it happened. Well, from 445 B.C. to 32 A.D. is 173,740 days, if you go through the arithmetic. From March 14th to April 6th, another 24 days. And if you go through the leap year calculations, there's another 116 days to deal with. It turns out that adds up to, guess what? 173,880 days. What was Gabriel's margin of error? Five centuries in advance, he predicts the exact day that Jesus Christ presents himself as the Mashiach Nagid to Jerusalem. When you think that through, that is staggering proof of just who Jesus Christ is. He is the Messiah of Israel. If you want a Messiah of Israel, it has to be somebody that was killed before this date and conforms to all the other specifications. The crucifixion of Christ was not a tragedy, it was an achievement. Fulfilling specifications that were laid down as early as Eden and following. But we're not, not through. In Luke 19, Jesus, is, he, as he's coming up over the hill on the donkey, when he's come near, it says, He beheld the city, and what did he do? He wept over it. And notice what he says carefully. Wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they're hidden from thine eyes. He expected them to know this day. And because they didn't know it, they are now blinded. Forever no. Paul will tell us they're blinded only until Romans 11.25. till the fullest of the Gentiles be come in. This thy day, but now they're hidden from thine eyes. But then he goes on, he says, But for the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And indeed, the Roman legions, the 5th, 10th, 12th, and 15th Roman legions, 38 years later, it's very interesting that when Israel failed to take charge of the land at Kadesh Barnea, they, had, they were destined to wander in the land for 38 years. We say 40 in round figures, but it was 38 years. It's interesting that because they didn't recognize their Messiah, 38 years later, the Roman legions lay siege, slaughter over a million inhabitants, men, women, and children. Another half million died due to the pestilence that followed. Why was Jerusalem destroyed in 70 AD, the biggest, one of the biggest milestones in the Jewish calendar? Why was Jerusalem destroyed in 70 AD? There are a lot of good answers to that. Let's look at Jesus' answer, the rest of that verse. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. 
You know, that's chilling. Jesus held them accountable. I personally believe He'll hold us accountable too. We've had a lot more light than they did, and I think He holds us accountable too. They knew it's not the time of the visitation. The next verse talks about the interval. After threescore and two weeks shall the Mashiach be cut off, karat. But not for himself, when the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and to, unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Karat, to be executed for a capital crime. The Messiah is going to be killed. Yes, it says so in the Old Testament. Daniel it says so in several places. Daniel 9.26, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, etc. It also introduces another character, the prince that shall come. We know who the people were that destroyed the city and sanctuary, but here they describes the people of the prince that shall come. The prince that shall come is one of 33 titles in the Old Testament of a coming world leader. We tend to call him the Antichrist. Who are the people of the prince that come? The Romans. That's why we think the prince is a Roman. That doesn't mean he's from Western Europe. We have other evidence to indicate that he's an Assyrian from the Roman Empire as it's extended in the old days. So we have this interval during which the crucifixion takes place. It takes place four days after the event of the, the donkey. The temple is destroyed. More than 38 years, we've got 2,000 that we've experienced before the seventh, this last final week. So the interval, this interval, by the way, is implied in 24 different verses throughout the Bible. The 24 is a very interesting number because it's also a symbol of the church from Revelation. The interval is defined, as I mentioned, from first Luke 19.42 to Romans 11.25. And uh, it's the period of the church. That's an era that's kept secret in the Old Testament, pretty much, that Paul explains in Ephesians 3. The church was born at Pentecost. There are prerequisites for the church. The atonement, the resurrection, and the ascension all had to precede it. Spiritual gifts are only given after the ascension. So there's a whole ecclesiological, a study in ecclesiology necessary here, but let's move on. The last verse of Daniel 9, and he, that is the prince that shall come, if it's the pronoun, always refers to the last mentioned antecedent, which was of course the prince that shall come, shall enforce the covenant with the many, it's an idiom for Israel, for one week, the final week. And in the midst of that week, he will cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease that causes to infer that somehow the covenant that he's enforcing allowed them to indulge in their sacrifice and oblations. So we know the temple's standing by the time you get to the middle of the week. We don't know when the temple's built. It could be built during the first half of that week of years or even earlier, who knows. But he desecrates it here. He causes the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Paul details this for you in 2 Thessalonians 2 and elsewhere. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And so ends Daniel 9. In this verse, we find time, times, the half a time. Uh, that's it. It, 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 it. We find that in, in Daniel 7.25, Daniel 12.7, Revelation 12.14. So half, the, the half weeks are called three and a half years some places, 42 months other places. 1260 days. The Holy Spirit's done everything. It's the most documented period of time in the Old Testament and the most documented period of time in the New Testament. This strange two half weeks of years. In fact, every detail in the scriptures by design, when you get to John 10, right in the middle of John 10, the, the, whole, the, uh, the Jesus is giving us the Good Shepherd discourse. But right in the middle it says it was Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication and it was winter. And if you're normal 
you know, a normal human being, you go on and read on. But if you've been to one of my Bible studies, you're no longer a normal, well-adjusted human being. You know that everything is there is there deliberately. Why did the Holy Spirit want you to know that it was in Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter? Well, what, when, what dedication could that be? Solomon's temple was dedicated in the fall, according to 1 Kings 8. The second temple, Jeroboam's temple, was dedicated in the spring, according to Ezra 6. What temple occurred in the winter? The rededication of the temple on the 25th of Kislev, celebrating the rededication subsequent to Antiochus Epiphanes desecrating it. That happened two centuries before Jesus made the remark, and we're going to talk about that. There's a very peculiar event called the Abomination of Desolation that we'll talk more about in the next session. It ushers in a period of time, a time of trouble as the world has never seen to that time or ever would see again. And Jesus himself labels it the Great Tribulation by quoting from Daniel 12. And the two halves of that week, as I say, are documented many, many times over. Jesus says that in his discussion with his disciples, there shall be great tribulations such as not since the beginning of the world of this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. He's quoting from Daniel 12. We haven't gotten there yet, but it says, that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And Jesus says in another place, in Hosea, he says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. In order for him to return, he must have left his place, right? So even though it's, that's in Hosea, last verse of chapter 5, it's obviously referring to the return of Jesus Christ. And of course, at the end of the week, of course, we have the second coming, and uh, we have the gathering of the church, and there's three, a number of different views. Some feel that the gathering of the church is at the end of the seven years. Some feel it's the middle. Some a little later than the middle. Uh, we hold the view ourselves that it's before the 70 week even starts. In fact, by a short distance ahead, probably. There are good scholars supporting each one of these, and we will discuss the pros and cons of each one of these later in the study. But we do know that 69 weeks are behind us. The 70th week, we believe, for lots of indicators, are, are, are not far away. So it's an exciting time. You might be interested to know that the 490 years that are represented by the 70 weeks is the fourth such period in Israel's history. Because if you take the period from Abraham to the Exodus and subtract out the years that they were in disfavor, uh, it was 505 years uh, from, uh, uh, on the one hand, but just take out the 15 years that Ishmael was a usurper, in effect, you have 490 years. If you go from Exodus to the temple, it's 601 years, but if you subtract out the servitudes of the judges, which are 111 years, you again get this interesting number of 490 years. If you go from the temple to the Edict of Artaxerxes, you again have 560 years, but you subtract the seven years of the Babylonian captivity, you have again 490 years. And of course, from Artaxerxes to the first advent, the 69 weeks plus the 70th week, we don't know the interval. The interval, Israel's set aside for the moment. So this is, I think, first it was first noticed by Clarence Larkin back in 1919, but it's, it's an interesting possibility I shared before you. Daniel 10 will give us a glimpse of the dark side, a very brief episode here. It's a prelude to the final two chapters of the book. Daniel fasts for 21 days. 
an angel is sent. When he gets there, he points out he was withstood for 21 days by a creature called the Prince of the Kingdom of Persia, one of Satan's hosts. And he can't get through until Michael comes and helps him. When assisted by Michael, the chief prince, and he's explaining to Daniel, he's going to give him a subsequent vision. That'll be the last two chapters of Daniel, Daniel 11 and 12. And he'll have, then he'll have to go back and deal with that, the prince of Persia, and then he'll also have to deal with the prince of the power of Greece. This is just a glimpse, but we get the impression here that there are demonic hosts behind each of the major world empires. After all, it is Satan's world, isn't it? But you can't help, it doesn't say this, but you can't help but wonder, is there a linkage between Daniel's fast and his ability to get through? Daniel fasted for 21 days. He was set when Daniel started, and he gets through after the 21 days to give him these visions that are coming. You sort of wonder, what would have happened if Daniel had stopped his fast after 19 days? Does there, is there anything, is there a link between them? We don't know. It's suggested, isn't it? Of course, anyway, the empire gets divided uh, in chapter 11, and we have the detail, as I mentioned to you before, of the period between the Testaments. And I won't take you through these, but there's a half a dozen Ptolemaic dynasties that fight with uh, half a dozen Antiochus dynasties, and they're so deep, the first verses 5 to 35 are so detailed that the experts have had to try to say that Daniel must have been late dated. It was in Ptolemy, Philadelphia, by the way, that the Septuagint was translated and so on. So the detailed profile is there, and it also includes the last few verses, give us a detailed background on this coming world leader, which we'll be taking up in a subsequent session. Now in the next session, we'll talk about the decree of Cyrus. That's a very colorful thing. It'll blow you away. And we'll talk about Ezra, the rebuilding of the temple, and the book of Nehemiah, which focuses on the building of Jerusalem. And we'll talk about one of the most colorful dramas in the Bible, the book of Esther. It's quite a drama, very colorful. It also, hidden underneath the text, are some surprises that we'll share with you. And then we'll talk a little bit about the intertestament period in the next session. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Missler, teaching through his series entitled, Learn the Bible in 24 Hours, here on 6640. If you would like further information about materials available from Dr. Missler, please contact us through this station or visit our website at khouse.org. Until next time, when Dr. Missler continues this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.